Uh, this morning, we are uh, continuing the series we've been in for a little while now. It's a series focused. There's a few things that probably could still go wrong this morning. I don't know what they are, but we'll find out, okay? And if you'll just join me in that, that would be great. So, uh, we've been focused on a series on Jesus and uh, really asking the question, what does it mean to, to live like he did? Uh, we've, we've used two kind of verses as the primary idea, one found in Ephesians, therefore let us be imitators of God. It's the, the idea that we should walk in the same way that Jesus walked. In fact, another passage says, whoever says he abides in him or in Christ ought to walk in the same way, in just in the, the same way that Jesus walked. And uh, our, our desire has been to imagine how cool it would be for us as a community to actually live out the very passions of Jesus, to, to understand His love and His compassion for people, and for when we're in the city, to model, to follow, to imitate what Jesus would be doing as He's present. We also have been talking about His actions. How do we mirror the way in which He does ministry? How do we take our cues from what it is He uh, did in the Scriptures and use that as a perfect example for us to uh, seek to embody it as well? And then last, His motivations, uh, His desire for reconciliation, His deep relationship with God. Even this morning, the song that we sang right at the very end spoke to this idea of Jesus is saying, I'm not going to do anything apart from the Father." That I'm going to follow where the Spirit leads. That I'm going to be a part of what it is that uh, God is desiring. And that is our same desire, to follow in the way of Jesus. Before we get to the text, what I want to do this morning is give you one theory and one assumption that I'm coming into uh, as we go into the text. I think it's important to understand some of the background and maybe how we got there. Here's my theory. It's not that big of a stretch of the imagination, but I'm going to throw it out as a theory. Ready? The Spirit of God is always at work. Yeah, that's the theory, okay? I'm working off of that premise, okay? And like I said, it's not that big of a stretch of the imagination, but that the Spirit of God is constantly at work, moving purposefully in the lives of people, moving purposefully in circumstances and situations of life, that the Spirit is always present and always moving. One of the ways we understand this to be true is in Matthew. Scripture said this, For He, God, makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. What that passage is speaking to or alluding to is this idea of common grace. I'm sure... Many of you have heard of common grace. Common grace is the idea that God dispenses love and grace and care and provision on those that follow Him as well as those who want nothing to do with Him. That He blesses. He blesses both His followers and He blesses those who are not following that it means he's actually actively present in the lives of people and drawing them to himself. This is a regular way in which the Spirit moves. 
And part of our understanding of common grace comes from this, this idea of what God is doing in the Scriptures, right? To understand the passages we're going to get into, it's important for us to understand this bigger idea that the Spirit is always moving and always present. Because we understand that not all Scripture is equal in the sense that some parts are more significant and are communicating bigger ideas and for us to understand certain ideas in light of the bigger ideas. So we should be reading the text to see the Spirit's movement. We should be reading the text to understand the ways in which the Spirit is operating. Because I think too often we probably buy into this idea that wherever we show up, is then where the Spirit is present, or wherever we show up is then where Jesus is present. I'll use Jeremy and Janelle as an example. They don't feel this way, but let's just imagine that they thought to themselves that there's a tribe of unreached people groups in a certain part of Tanzania, and that their responsibility in the sense that they got from the Spirit was for them to go to that particular tribe and embed their life among that group of people some people will go to that tribe and that location and believe that when they arrive, that the Spirit arrived with them. That Jesus now is present. That we can begin to describe and declare the Gospel. And that people will know and come to know Jesus in light of what they hear, perhaps for the first time. A different way of understanding it is the way that I'm suggesting this morning is that the Spirit of God has been present there and has been working there and has been doing so from the beginning of time. And that when we show up on the scene, it's not our job to bring the Spirit. It's not our job to bring Jesus. It's our job simply, quite simply, to point to where He's already active. It's to be able to be in a place and have eyes to see and simply go, you see that there? You know this story that you as a group of people have been telling for hundreds of years, that story? Let me tell you where that story is coming from. Or, or do you see the way that God provided for you on the farm in this particular village? Let me tell you something about the one who controls the sun and the rain, who causes his light and his rain to, to shine and to, and to pour onto the just and the unjust. Let me tell you about him. Right? It's simply to be a sign pointing to the ways in which God is presently moving. The same is true in your neighborhood. It's not like when you moved into the block, the Spirit decided to follow you in. He's been there. He's moving. He's active. Your job is to show up and to be present and to start pointing people toward the One who's moving. Right? That it's not about what you're bringing to the table. It's really about what He's already presently doing and how you can actually join the Spirit. Really, that becomes the question. How do I, how do I join what the Spirit is already doing in the world? It's very clear in the Scriptures that Jesus joined in with what the Spirit was already doing. And so we have to ask, how do we join in? How do we come alongside of where it's, the Spirit is already at work? How do we come alongside and join in what the Spirit is doing. I'll give you an illustration that perhaps will explain it even, even more. I don't know how many of you have read the book, The Boys in the Boat. If you have not read it, I would highly encourage you 
to read the book. It is about the 1936 uh, group of rowers that uh, went to the Berlin Olympics. They're from the University of Washington. That's them in all their glory right there. And uh, they were the college crew team. And uh, they ended up being so successful that, and I'm not going to ruin the story for you, that they went to the Olympics. How they did, that's up to you to read the book. Now, one of the things that's talked about in the book again and again is how you have a group of men or a group of rowers that as they get into the boat at the beginning, they are all pulling as hard as they can, but they're all doing it at their own rate their own speed, their own effort, and they're striving to be the best that they can be, but the boat is going nowhere really fast. But the, the, path of the, the book talks about the idea that they can get into what's called the swing. And that is where they've so harmonized their bodies with their teammates' bodies, that they have so aligned the, the, like their heartbeat and their rhythm and everything about them that they get to the place where all of the oars are hitting the water at the exact amount, same time. They're all pulling in the exact same way, and they hit what's called the swing, and everything becomes not effortless in that moment, but everything becomes multiplied. So it was good, and the race was fine, but when they hit the swing, it's as if everything changes. Brown, the author, describes it this way. He says, they all were merged into one smoothly working machine. They were, in fact, a poem in motion, a symphony of swinging blades. I think that's what it means to join in with the Spirit. You could be busy doing good things for God, where God's not moving, and put a bunch of effort and time and energy into it because you think it'll be a good cause It'll be a good idea. Or you could just pause for a moment, look around, find where the Spirit is already moving, and then join in. And when you do that, it's as if you've hit the swing. It's as if everything becomes easier. It's as if your minimal effort produces maximum results. That's what it means, I think, in some ways, to join in with the Spirit, or join where the Spirit is at work. That's the theory. Here's my assumption. My assumption is that the Spirit is already in you. Because it's kind of impossible to hit the swing if the Spirit's not already present in your life. Let me take it even a step further. Maybe He's present in your life, but are you truly, as was talked about again last week, abiding in the Spirit? Are you truly in that place where you're in rhythm with the Spirit? As I was thinking about it a lot this week, we tend to be a doing kind of people. This community is a doing type of community. We sometimes believe that our following is only as good as our doing. That if we become more active, more engaged, we take up more causes, if we accomplish more things, then our following of Jesus will grow. While there is some truth to that, I think we've bought in maybe to the motto of don't just stand there, do something. Don't just stand there, do something. You've probably heard people say that before. But I sometimes wonder if instead God is saying, don't just do something, stand there. 
Don't just do something. Stand there. Richard Foster says it this way, society is dominated by the inane notion that action is the only reality. Please, for God's sake and your own, don't just do something. Stand there. Come in and enjoy His presence. Sink down into the light of Christ and become comfortable in that posture. Open the subterranean sanctuary of your soul and listen for the voice of God. To do so gives us focus, unity, purpose. We discover serenity, unshakableness, firmness of life orientation. See, there is a time when doing is called for, but I think you cannot skip the abiding part. Abide in me and I in you. From apart from me, you can do nothing. Our doing should flow out of our being. Being present with Christ. So that's my theory and my assumption, which takes us to the text and the ways in which the Spirit is already at work and how Jesus kind of joined in with the Spirit. Let me give you two of them. First one, the Spirit moves us towards people. Another way of saying it is Jesus followed the Spirit into the path of people. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's also going to be on the screen. Uh, But John chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, it says this, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, He left Judah and departed again for Galilee. And He had to pass through Samaria. So He came to a town of Samaria uh, near the field that Jacob had given to His son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as He was from His journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now the text has this little interesting phrase. At least I find it interesting. The text says that he had to pass through Samaria. That he had to pass through Samaria. Now the truth is, he he didn't. He didn't have to. In fact, most didn't. Most absolutely avoided it. They would find a way to get around Samaria so as not to travel through it. Uh, They didn't like the Samaritans. You know, it's that feeling that some of you get when you're in Walmart and you think to yourself, I'm better than these people. That feeling? Don't lie, you have that occasionally, right? This church, don't lie. Now you feel that way, right? You feel that way. That's how it was with the Samaritans. They felt like, no, 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 we're better than these people. But what's so interesting in the text is that it said that he had, had to pass through Samaria. I think that's part of the Spirit's invitation. That's him being so aware of what the Spirit was calling him into that he said, I'm going to follow. I'm going to go where it's not normal to go. I'm going to talk to whom it's not normal to talk to. It wouldn't have been customary for a male to speak to a female at that time. Especially apart from her husband. Especially by himself. The disciples weren't with him at this moment. And he finds himself kind of breaking some of the societal rules. 
Maybe he had the same feeling that you or I have on occasion where you sense a prompting from the Spirit that you're supposed to talk to this person that you have no idea who they are or any desire to speak to them and yet you decide to follow. Or maybe it's that time that you know there's a couple in your small group that you need to get to spend a little bit more time with because of kind of where they're at in their relationship with God or with each other and you follow the Spirit. Or it's that time that you sense you're supposed to give to meet a need or that you're supposed to sign up and serve. That, that Whatever it is, there's these ways in which we sense the Spirit prompting. And I wonder if Jesus was in the exact same place. That the Spirit moved him toward a person, towards this woman at the well. Just in the same way that the Spirit is moving us toward people. Now we have options. Option number one is to not be involved with people at all. That's what some of us would prefer to choose, right? The Spirit kind of prompts and you go, yeah, I'm just going to beg out of this one, right? I'm not in. Or some of us only respond in crisis involvement. So it's like, well, I'm not going to get too close to that person. But if something tragic happens, if something difficult, if it's one of those emergency situations, I'll come in with my white cape on, I'll kind of rescue, I'll, I'll save, I can be in the position of always being a giver and never a taker. I can help out. And do we need people to help out like that? Absolutely, all the time. But maybe that's not the way in which the Spirit is always calling us. I'm going to suggest that what the Spirit is looking for and asking for is a co-laborer with God who wants to be in constant and close relationship with people. That's what it means, I think, to follow the Spirit. To, by the grace of God, be able to identify as best you can by the Spirit's leading where God is working and moving in the lives of people you're close to. And then saying, how do I join in in what he's doing? It means being close enough that you're not just dealing with the symptoms that the person's going through, but you're really dealing with the, the heart issues, the things that are a layer or two deeper. That you're not asking questions about, hey, how's your day going? That's a good introductory question, but you're actually getting to, hey, over the last couple of weeks, what's been the most challenging thing for you and how can I be with you in that kind of question? To enter into like authentic relationship where it's rubbing shoulder on shoulder, life on life, and being facilitators in that, pointing people toward God. That's, I think, what it means to co-labor with God in the context of a close relationship. That's what it means to enter, to, to follow the Spirit into the life of a person. Maybe some of you are asking, like, well, how do you determine where the Spirit is presently working in the life of people? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you a couple ways that, that maybe you could do that. The first one would be something we heard again and again in Chicago. Listen. Listen. Listen to their conversations. Dialogue with them. Listen to the kinds of questions they're asking. It's in listening that you hear their heart revealed. Listen for their view of God. Listen for the way they talk about the Gospel. If those things are not being heard regularly, if those things are, are skewed in some way, their understanding of who God is, 
needs reoriented toward who He really is, then that might be an area in which the Spirit is wanting to move. Um, Here's another idea. Draw out how they're feeling by asking questions. Hear their inner conversations. I mean, all of us talk to ourselves. Some of us out loud. The rest of us internally. We're always telling ourselves stories and ideas and thoughts. Oftentimes, to be honest with you, the things we tell one another or tell ourselves are lies. That I'm not good enough, that I'm not capable, that I can't accomplish. That I, it's, it's the things that the Spirit of God doesn't ever say to you. And yet we're saying them to ourselves, and maybe you'll pick up on that and, and can reorient. Whatever it is, if it's the circumstances, the Spirit is always moving through circumstances. Where are the difficult moments in the life of the person that you're spending time with? In those moments, the Spirit is moving. So find those. Point those out. Talk about them. I think the Spirit also moves us towards circumstances. So it moves us towards people. But I think it also, the Spirit moves us toward circumstances. In fact, Jesus followed the Spirit where He was led. If we believe that the Spirit is constantly working in the lives of people, if we believe the Spirit is constantly moving in circumstances and events in order to accomplish His purposes, then it would make sense that the Spirit is also inviting us into those circumstances. You see it in, uh, in Paul's letters, how he says, like, I really wanted to go here, but the Spirit said, no, go this way. And he followed. You see it in the book of Acts, where Philip is like just minding his own business, and I think it's Acts chapter 8, and um, at that moment, he's just like, life is good, and then the Spirit says, go to like this desert space. And he's like, that makes no sense, okay, I'll do it, right? And then he goes, and there he finds the Ethiopian eunuch, and there a life is changed, and there a baptism happens, and there, who knows what happens from there. What, what Acts is communicating is that the gospel started to go to the ends of the earth in that moment. When he followed. We see it in the life of Jesus again and again. We see Jesus go away to be by himself with God. There's moments we see that he had to go through Samaria. or moments where we see the Spirit leading him somewhere else. But I picked one that's maybe a little bit more odd. If you look in three of the four Gospels, you're going to see the exact same thing said in unique ways. It says this in Matthew 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. A little bit later in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And He came up out of the water and immediately He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are My beloved Son. With You I am well pleased. And then the Spirit immediately drove Him into the wilderness and He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and He was with wild animals and the angels were ministering to Him. Luke chapter 4, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil, and He ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, I love this phrase, He was hungry. Very true. Very true. 
I think it's pretty clear what the scriptures are communicating. In three of the four gospels and the times that this story, every single time this story is brought up, there's a reoccurring theme, right? That he was led. He followed the Spirit. That he went somewhere. And if you follow where he went and what happened, your, your wheels should be spinning a bit. The Spirit led him into temptation. Weird. The Spirit led him into a difficult time. To a time of fasting. To a time of solitude. To a time in the wilderness. To a time in the desert. The Spirit led him into trying times. I believe the Spirit does the same with us. Leads us into trying times. Every year... I go on the Chicago trip. I am blown away. Not by the number of times in which God calls people to the suburbs. I'm not usually blown away by that. Not the number of times God calls people into higher paying jobs or into a nicer setting. I do believe God calls us into those places as well. Every place needs the gospel. Where I'm blown away is the the ways in which friends of mine and others' acquaintances are constantly being led by the Spirit into some of the deepest and darkest and most challenging places in our country. That they would move with their family, their wife, their three kids, they would move into a difficult neighborhood. And if you think Spokane, if you've lived around here long, if you think Spokane has a difficult neighborhood, uh, come find me. I'd love to talk about it. It doesn't. And whatever imaginary one you're thinking of right now is the most difficult one. It would be like, man, we're moving into the suburbs, you know, of Chicago. Because it, do, it, it doesn't even pale in comparison. But year after year, I hear people say to me, the Spirit led us to this place. The Spirit asked us to move in. The Spirit told us to get a house right here. The Spirit asked us to to be in the lives of these people in this situation. Brooke mentioned some statistics about just this year alone. I'll I'll give you a couple of those. Uh, In April, April in Chicago, 18 shot and killed, 117 wounded, 135 total shot. 20 homicides. Go uh, year to date, 150 shot and killed, 802 shot and wounded, 952 total shot, and about 170 complete homicides. Which means right now that a person is shot every 2 hours and 42 minutes as of the 15th of April, and a person is murdered every 14 hours and 57 minutes. I don't share those with you to go, oh, wow, God's moving some people into uh, places and he hasn't moved me into those places. I'm not sharing those to say that. The reason I'm sharing those is to say this. There is a theory that goes around. I hear it in Christian circles often. God will never give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. If you're listening. Yes, he will. Henry Blackaby said this, 
God will ask you to do something, or will God ever ask you to do something you're not able to do? The answer is yes, all the time. Exclamation point. It must be that way for God's glory and kingdom. If we function according to our ability alone, we get the glory. If we function according to the power of the Spirit within us, God gets the glory. He wants to reveal Himself to the watching world. See, when we follow the Spirit, I am convinced that what God wants to do is use, just like in this baptism, He wants to use our life and say, hey, it's on public display of what God will do and how He will move through it. It's not our life anymore at that point. It isn't. Now, we might hold the grand illusion that it should be in some way our life, but the truth is that once you've committed your life, once you've said, I'm a follower of Jesus, then it bears the responsibility of being ministers of reconciliation. It bears the responsibility of saying, wherever the Spirit leads, I'll go. It's not a popular idea, but it's certainly a true idea. Blackaby went on to say this, Christ will lead you into many situations that will seem impossible, but don't try to avoid them. Stay in the middle of them, for that is where you will experience God. Let me read that again. Christ will lead you into many situations that will seem impossible, but don't try to avoid them. Stay in the middle of them, for that is where you will experience God. It's hard to say that. It is. There have been times in my life recently where I'm like, well, do I take that step of faith or do I just settle? I'll be honest, the step of faith is always harder. Always. It's less convenient. It's more challenging. Because you know what it requires? To live by faith, not by sight. I like to live by sight. All the ducks are lined up. It feels like everything's in place. It doesn't feel like there's any chaos. It's just like, oh man, that's really great. I'll make you a guarantee. I do not see the Spirit move nearly as much. Or maybe I'm just not aware of it in those moments as when I'm constantly aware of it in the other moments. This morning, I wanted us to be reminded that if we're following the way of Jesus, if we're trying to take on what He has said, that one of the things we have to take on is us following the Spirit's leading. And he's going to lead us toward people. Always works that way. It's the body of Christ. Be close to family. Get to know. See where the Spirit is active in the life of a person and invest in that. And He's going to lead you toward circumstances. And those circumstances aren't always safe. They aren't always easy. They aren't always what you want to hear, but they are right in the center of what God wants. So follow. Be risky. Take the step. Follow the Spirit and see how God moves. Let me pray.